0: To press on with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church. We pray that you are encouraged and enriched as you press on towards the cause of Christ. Today, I want to talk to you about a very familiar passage. I say familiar if you've been in church circles, if you've been a camp. I mean, there's even songs written about this familiar story. I, I want to approach it though from the perspective that you might not know this story. The story is often referred to as the woman and the alabaster box. Sometimes it's just called the alabaster box, or as we see in scripture, sometimes it's not even a box at all. It's actually a vial. Uh, the emphasis is really not on the box necessarily, although there's some really incredible significance to that. And we're going to get into that. Um, but it's more on the act of what's taking place in the story. The story is found in all of the four synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels that refers to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Synoptic being a synopsis of the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a story about Jesus. Four different accounts of the life of death and resurrection of Jesus, also referred to as the synoptic gospel. So today, before I, uh, I go any further, I want to read out of Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to touch on a couple of extra verses as well, and it begins, now the Passover and unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, him being Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. And if we continue reading, it says, but some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed for me. For the poor you will always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of. In her memory. May the Lord add his blessing to his word today. I pray you're changed, transformed and challenged for his glory. So real quick, as I was saying, this story is told in all four of the synoptic gospels. There's slight variations in the telling um, without getting into too much detail. And Matthew and Mark, they tell us about the act, but they don't tell us who the woman actually is. And as you can see, as this story closes out, Jesus says, wherever the gospel is told, what this woman has done will also be told. I love that because I think the authors are really not putting the emphasis on the person, but more the act, because it's an act that you and I can also participate in. John and Luke, um, they, they take some time to identify this woman in one account as Mary. In the other account, it just tells us it's a sinful woman. There's a couple of slight variations on when this event actually took place. Some scholars believe it took place before Christ even began his ministry. Some believe it took place as some of these accounts actually let us know uh, in the town of Bethany, just a few days away from Christ being crucified. Uh, So we have these variations in story that some people might just dismiss as contradictions. When you read scripture and something appears to be a contradiction, it's not the, scripture that's uh, in contradiction. It's our, our reading and our comprehension. And I don't mean that as an insult. Uh, it's just trying to understand the culture and the way this is written. For instance, if my wife, who used to be a teacher, uh, went on a field trip with her class, I might ask her, what'd you do today? She might say, I went on a field trip with my class. And in that class, I'm going to assume that the 30 something odd kids might've went. I also might not take into consideration that some of those kids may have been absent that day, so I don't have a clear, true clear account of who was there. She's not giving me roll call, she's just giving me the gist of her story um, from my perspective. But if her principal or another teacher or even a parent asked, there might be some different specifics, but they're both gonna point to the same act. Does that make sense? And so when we read scripture, we're reading an account that's putting emphasis often on one particular act. Now that's not to say this was not in fact two different accounts, it's very possible. Jesus was a man of renown, he grew in fame, he grew in stature, people knew who he was and as a holy man, people would have brought him gifts from time to time. It's very possible people may have tried to anoint him with oil and so it's very possible that these are two separate accounts and there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Also, in some of the accounts, it tells us that Jesus was anointed on his head. Uh, Luke and John tell us that this was uh, anointing took place at his feet. It's possible that he was anointed on his head and the oil flowed to his feet. Again, depending on the emphasis and what the author is trying to communicate, whether it happened in two separate accounts, it is plausible. It could have been in one account. We also are told that this happened in the home of Simon. And then another account, we're told it happened in the home of Lazarus, among his sisters, both were lepers as scripture seems to indicate. And it's possible that once again, this was one account, it's possible that Simon and Lazarus both lived together as lepers lived in communes in those days. And you know, so all the teachings of the variations of this story, they all end up with significant conclusions and they're not weakened in any way by the various tellings, they're actually strengthened. You know, I refer to this, uh, the title of my message is what's in the box. What's in the box? The story of the alabaster box has been told countless times, and I wonder, what does God want to say to you today? We know this story is about a woman who approached Jesus with this precious container. You know, Saguchi purse. Something that looks expensive and high quality, but what we come to find that what's truly of value is what is on the inside. I wonder if God is gonna speak to you today and ask you to move past the surface and pour something out on his feet. Something that is gonna be able to shift the atmosphere. Something that's gonna be able to change destiny. Something that's gonna be able to change your life and the life of everyone around you. How often we float in and out of people's lives, float throughout our community. Never really engaging them, never letting them see what's on the inside. And just as we find in this story, when that box is broken, a sweet fragrance is released and it changes the atmosphere. So, as a quick overview, I want to look at verses one and two just briefly before we get into the meat of the text. Verses one and two, it tells us that this is a time of religious observation. It's a beautiful thing, you know, religious observation. You got religious people. One thing that I find funny and ironic about the story is that the religious men are seeking to murder, but they don't want to do it on a religious holiday. God forbid they commit a sin. Isn't that something? (laughs) It's so funny, it's just like people. It's just like me. You know, I've got this little closet in my life that I don't wanna bring it to church because I'm going to church. I remember getting in the car with an aunt back in the day and she's gonna take us to church. She was dressed to the T. She had her clothes on, she was looking fine, she was looking good, she was looking sharp. She was looking like a holy woman of God and me and the cousins were in the back and uh, we're causing a little bit of a scene. We're getting on her nerves and on the way to church, you know, the holy woman God would turn around and say, you kids better cut it out before I turn this car around. <laughs> you know? And I can make a little bit of light of that, but I wonder if there's some secret sins in our life that we don't bring it to church. I remember a season of my life when I brought the package, I brought the box, my, my proverbial alabaster box. It looked good on the outside. But people didn't really know what was on the inside. There was a season in my life when, you know, you're in church circles, so we know we don't talk like that and we don't act like that. You know, we don't get real. We don't let the real self out because we just have to brush by people on the surface. And it's a funny thing to me to recognize that it's okay to have a little bit of religion, but we don't want Jesus in the religion. You know, they, they were seeking for an occasion to kill Jesus and because they had their religious festivities and I I like that the, the author tells us lest they cause a riot. Lest they cause a riot. You know, Jesus not handled correctly seems to cause a little disruption to the system. You know, it's so great to go on these humanitarian mission trips and drill wells and build houses and feed hungry people. It's so great to go out and hold signs and hug people and, you know, project this positive message of the Christian faith. But God forbid we begin talking about Jesus. God forbid we, we introduce Jesus into any of our religious observations and we risk a riot. You know, and I know that the text is really telling us that they wanted to quietly remove Jesus because if they remove Jesus uh, in public, it was going to cause a riot. You know, I'm scared that if we introduce Jesus nowadays, we're going to cause a riot. You know, I'm I'm concerned that I can sit in any public place and get engaged in any conversation with people and talk about God. It's okay to talk about God. And somebody's undoubtedly, unoffendedly, they're gonna tell me, Yo, I believe in God, I believe in him, I believe in her, I believe in it, But the moment you step up and you say, yeah, I believe in God and my God has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. He came wrapped in flesh, died on a cross and rose again. All of a sudden, people are going to stop and say, wait, 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 wait. Getting a little out of control there, buddy. You're, you're, You're getting weird now. You know, anytime you bring Jesus into the picture, anytime you bring Jesus into your observation, you begin to make people feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Isn't that something? My, how the times have turned. It used to be if you remove Jesus that people would get upset. But it seems like if you introduce Jesus into any of our observations. Go ahead and have your your Easter celebration, but don't talk to me about Jesus. Go ahead and have your Christmas celebration, but don't talk to me about Jesus. Go ahead and do what you're doing over there in your church, but don't let it come outside those walls. You want those 10 commandments? Just don't put them out in public. Don't bring Jesus into my story, lest you cause a riot. I'd rather get to those days when removing Jesus, pulling Jesus out of school, pulling Jesus out of our conversation, pulling Jesus out of our communities starts causing a riot. My, I pray that a time comes where the Christian voice speaks so loud that we need the presence of Christ and without the presence of Christ here, it's gonna cause a riot. It always seems like when you bring Christ up, people wanna muzzle you. They wanna shut you up and shut you down. See, when you bring Jesus into religion, It's gonna cause a riot. When's the last time Jesus has caused a riot in your life? Huh? When's the last time Jesus has caused a riot in your religious observations? I want you to think about that. Is the taste that you have for Christ enough to cause a riot in anything counterfeit? Verse three tells us he was in Bethany. This is significant. I hope you don't pass over this. You know, as I said, in a lot of the tellings of this, uh, scholars believe that this occurred just a few days before Christ would embrace the cross and face Calvary, just a few days before the crucifixion. Where do we see Jesus? This is the apex of his ministry. He's been going strong, he's grown in fame, he's known, he's spoken to the crowds, he's fed the masses. And where do we find our Lord and Savior? Scripture tells us right here, in the house of a leper. And in the house of women, women were we not people well revered in the community. But yet that's where we find Jesus. Jesus began his ministry, touching the sick and, and and being with those outcasts. And here he is at the end of his ministry. And Christ is still nose to the grindstone. He's still working and affiliating and ministering with the same people. You see, Jesus never outgrew ministry. Jesus didn't use his Achievements to say, well, you know, back when I started ministry, you know, I used to do that, but I've had to delegate that off because I've kind of outgrown this now. No, no, that's not where we find our Savior. We find Him in the same place. Ministry wasn't a stepping stone for Him. He came to seek and save that which was lost, and He did it until the very end. I'm so grateful we have a Savior that's faithful. I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't outgrow me. He doesn't grow tired of me. And I don't know where you're listening to this podcast today, if you're in the gym or in your car, but I want you to take heart. Christ, man, he doesn't outgrow you. He doesn't get tired of you. He's going to be faithful to you just as he promised. So there's three aspects to this story. It's the meat of the text, and that's what I want to dig into with you today. The first thing I want to look at with you is this alabaster vial, or this alabaster container. What was alabaster? Uh, well, alabaster was a precious stone. It was found commonly throughout Israel. It was a, one of the stones that King Solomon used to build the temple of the Lord. They would often take the stone and chisel it down and make it really ornate and beautiful. They would dip it in wax and they would be able to use that to house um, you know, ointments and oils and perfume. It, they turned it into a vessel and it would keep the ointments and the, the various things unspoiled for a long, long period of time. Then they'd, they'd seal it and um, cover it up in wax, and, and then they would put it away. When Mary broke open her alabaster box, scripture tells us in, in John 12:3 that the room was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Alabaster's strong. It, it was marble-like. And uh so because of that, it was common to see it in people's houses. It was passed down like an heirloom. You'd walk into someone's house and you'd see it on a shelf and you would just assume uh, that there must have been something precious inside, you know? How many times have you seen somebody with with something fancy, you know, that Gucci person? You must assume uh, maybe there's gotta be some money in there. You know, what people would do in order to maintain them is sometimes they were just completely empty. Or sometimes they would, they would have a little bit of oil or a, bit, a little bit of lotion or perfume. They'd have to water it down because it all about the appearance. I wonder what your alabaster box is today. I wonder what is it that the world sees and makes an assumption about you. It's so easy to look at people that go to church on a regular basis and just assume, wow, they got it together. Wow, they must be holy. Wow, they must be a man or woman of God. But they don't never see past your alabaster surface. They never see past that ornate hairstyle or that beautiful clothes or the car or the house. They're not really engaging in your life. They don't really see what's going on. Can I tell you, if you belong to Christ, even when you're facing difficulty, even when you've got problems in your marriage, even when your kids are giving you some problems, even when you're having challenges in your job, I want to tell you that what is inside of you is precious and it's of value, but it will never be able to affect the environment until what is on the inside comes out. Well, you might be saying, hey, Pastor Aaron, you know, what's on the inside's ugly. That's why I move past people real quickly. Like, I don't want them to get to know, I don't want them to get to know me. I don't want them to really know what's going on. Oh, can I tell you, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're not looking at what is inside of you that God has put inside of you. We don't want any more of what's on the inside of us coming out. We want what is on the inside of us that God has deposited in us to come out. That's the fragrance, that's the oil, that's the pure nard, that's the precious commodity that this world is missing. That's what our marriages are missing. That's what our homes are missing. I'm I'm afraid that's what our churches are missing. The true precious deposit of God's presence that should be flowing out of our lives but we don't ever uh, allow the opportunity for that to truly come out. We're So busy moving past each other. Presumably my second point is that the contents are ineffective until the box is broken. It's when the box is broken that we're told that the fragrance fills the room. It's not enough to look at a box. It's not enough to claim to be a light of the world, the salt of the earth. It's not enough to tell the world that we've got an answer, come to church. There's got to be some type of an active engagement. The Bible tells us that she did the breaking. It's when she gave up the appearance of something precious. It's when she took it to the point of no return by shattering it, that it became a sweet, sweet offering. Everywhere you look, there's potential. Everywhere you look, there's people with possibility, how many times in our church circles we hear the phrase, you've been called, I've been called, I've been called. So people are called, people are anointed. People have this, this supernatural God-given potential in their lives, but can I tell you, I, I let my phone ring quite a bit. There's plenty of calls that come in. It's very rare that I answer. It's a bad habit of mine. Most of the time it's because my ringer's off. I'm working to get better at that. But the point is, is everybody's phone can ring. The question is, you picking up? There isn't one instance in the Bible where we find anyone who's called, that calling was equal to easy. I love the story of Nehemiah. Here's a man of God called and commissioned by God. Supernatural favor and opportunity opens up. But when it comes down, when rubber meets the road and Nehemiah engages in the call, he engages in the work associated with the call. Scripture tells us this is a man that built a wall, mortar and brick, one hand and a sword in the other hand to battle his enemies. There is not an instance where achieving and obtaining the call and answering the call is equal to easy. It's a battle. For some of you, the call is going to require schooling. For some of you, the call's gonna require money, it's gonna require resource, it's gonna require sacrifice, it's gonna require time. We're surrounded by potential, but it's a matter of you shattering the box and going after the thing that is gonna change lives and change the room. And now the last point is that the anointing that covered the head of Jesus in Mark's story tells us that What is really inside of the box? What's really inside? What your life is really purposed for is not for your greatness. Oh, how often we keep our precious alabaster boxes on the shelf to make us look good, but what we find is it's not until the box is broken that the true purpose is discovered, and it was for the ministry of Jesus. For a season of my life I was pursuing music and I believe that music was an avenue for me to communicate what was in the inside of me to the world. Oh, cause I felt like I had something that could maybe uplift someone. I remember I tell myself, well maybe, just maybe one of the lyrics to my songs just might encourage somebody. Maybe I, I could just help them relate and let them know I'm not alone. It wasn't until the Lord got a hold of my heart and told me you don't have anything worthwhile to pour into people except me. Pour my message into people. You don't want to take what's on the inside of you and get that on the inside of somebody. Get me on your insides and let me do the ministry. I realized that what was on the inside of me that is so precious was God's presence. The presence of Christ in me, Paul says. The mystery that was veiled for ages is now revealed. That mystery is Christ in us. What is on the inside that is really the precious oil is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. I've been scared to really let my facade, my ego, my, my little kingdom be shattered, because if I, if I shatter that, then the truth of who I am might be seen. And that's why it's so important that as Christians that we, we do that internal check. That's why it's so important that we really allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and there be a, an inner working because at some point, what's on the inside is going to be revealed. At some point, who you truly are is going to be seen. And it's going to happen during a, during a season of trial, it's going to happen through the storm. You, you, I'm not waiting on the storms of life to, to mold my character, to mold my integrity. Those storms that are going to come your way, they're going to reveal my character. They're going to reveal my integrity. So this passage tells us that the the oil that was poured out was to prepare Jesus for his work, to prepare his body. Did you realize that the giftings and the talents and your abilities and your resources, all of who you are, it's not for you. Those years that I wasted and spent trying to to build my portfolio, to do things, it wasn't for me. It was to prepare the body. And today, the body of Jesus is the church. We're not simply his supernatural bride. We're also his body. You're an ambassador, an extension of Christ. And your giftings is to prepare the body. Have you plugged into your community? Have you plugged into your church to prepare the body for work? As we learn in this story, the contents was for Jesus. See, when you maintain your box, when you maintain your little corner, when you maintain your little gifting, what you're doing is you're robbing God of what is His. Oh, and because of the value, as I touched on a little bit earlier, sometimes people would just maintain those alabaster boxes and they'd adulterate it, they'd water it down. Oh, in this season, as God begins to move on you and encourage you to engage, get involved and begin to help facilitate things that are gonna help the body of God and the body of Christ move forward, can I encourage you, don't counterfeit it. Don't don't adulterate it. Don't give the fake version. Don't bring a piece. Bring all of what you have to all of who he is. Seeing how the disciples troubled this woman when she poured it out because, you know, we think, well, I've got this resource, why am I gonna invest it in the church when I could be over here and I could maybe make more money off of it or I could, you know, if I just use my talent this way, you know, here's a better way I can use it. Christ's response, I'm in your midst. Bring it to the altar before you bring it to the marketplace. Bring it to the altar before you go off in your own way and try to vest it in a way. Here's what Benson Commentary has to say. But Jesus, knowing everything they spake or thought, said, why do you trouble her without cause? She's done a good thing. She's brought a good work on me. She's given great proof of her firm faith and fervent love of me. And therefore, instead of meriting your censure, deserves your commendation. She has done what she could to testify her affection for me. She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. I want to ask you, what's your box? What's that outer shell? Is it your reputation? Is it your appearance? Are you willing to smash it? Can I tell you that what you bring to Jesus, what's of true value is going to cost you? See, as the Benson Commentary pointed out, what she did was an affirmation of her love and her faith. Can I say that again? What you bring to Jesus, what you bring and lay at the cross is an affirmation of your love and your faith. How easy it is to sing love songs to Jesus. Come to church. The jam sounds good, we're gonna lift our hands and bob our head. How easy it is to pop a CD in the car. Wait, we don't listen to CDs anymore. To plug our phones in the car and listen to uh, worship music and just go, yes, God, oh, it sounds great. But here's the proof. What are you truly bringing to Jesus? What are you allowing to shatter in your life? Is it your anger? Is it your bitterness? Is it your resentment? Is it unforgiveness? I'm afraid that our alabaster boxes don't look as beautiful as this woman's. I'm afraid that what houses what's really important, see, what's keeping the anointing, what's keeping the effectiveness uh, from flowing and changing the atmosphere, the fragrance of God, I think our alabaster boxes are a lot uglier. See, I don't think the challenge is whether or not our alabaster boxes have counterfeit or are even empty. No, if you belong to Christ, then Christ Christ dwells in you. I'm afraid the challenges are boxes. I don't think we have beautiful alabaster boxes like we ought to. I'm afraid we are ashamed to bring anything to the cross because what we think is on the inside, the ugliness that we don't want anyone to see, I want to let you know the truth is we don't really hide those things. We only hide it from ourselves. The world can see it. The world can see the lack of love. The world can see the coldness in our eyes. We think we hide it, but what we're really doing is we're allowing the callousness, the unforgiveness, the hardness, the shame, the fatigue, Oh, the doubt, we wear that, that is our alabaster box. And I believe the Lord would move on you today and say, let that shatter, bring that, throw that at the feet of Jesus. Let that box be broken in Jesus name so that the true sweet fragrance of his presence can begin to flow in your life. He promised that there would be streams of living water flowing out of us. I'm afraid today our alabaster boxes don't look as beautiful as this woman's. What's your alabaster box? What is it in your life that seems to be creating a boundary and maintaining an appearance all the while keeping the true anointing from flowing in your life? Let me pray for you today. Father, in Jesus' name, there's so many ways that this story has spoken to me throughout the years. I've heard the songs of different preaching on this story, and I'm always challenged, Lord, with what's my box? What's in my box? And I believe that as a Christian, we can all arrive at the same conclusion, oh God, it's your presence that's in the box. So really the question is, what is my box that's keeping your presence from flowing, God? Is it something beautiful and ornate? Or is it my pride and arrogance? God, I pray tonight that we'd catch a glimpse of Jesus and see the value and worth of laying it down and so what you've placed in me could flow out. Scripture tells me that you jealously long for what you've placed in my life. I wanna give that to you today. And I pray that every here, right now in this moment would be moved to give you the most precious commodity. It's what's inside. that's what you died for to the one that doesn't know you today i pray that they would be moved to invite jesus into their lives even if they don't understand all of this but to open that invitation say jesus come into my life i don't know everything about the bible but i know that i need a savior i know i need to be freed from shame and from guilt and from doubt would you save me today come into my life and save me in the mighty name of jesus we ask this amen and amen Hey, I want to challenge you. If this ministered to you today, if you've accepted Christ for the first time, would you reach out to me? My email is pastor at gardencitychurch.net. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to get to know you. This is Pastor Aaron. God bless you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at gardencity.com. Church.net, or you can visit me online at AaronRios.com or any social media outlet. Hey, till next time, keep pressing on towards Christ. God bless you.